You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Today, we're ending up our series on headlines. We're going to end with the book of 1 Peter, and it's been a great ride through that book. And so I want you to pray with me as we begin our time today. So Jesus, we come before you, and we ask you in your name to give us your insights into your word. Lord, it's no accident that each person is in this room today. I pray and ask that, Lord, your spirit would speak to them, that you would meet them not where they'll someday be, but, God, you would meet them where they are today. Your spirit would speak to where they are right now. And that, God, you would encourage us as you bring us back to the truth and the power that resides in you and in your name and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Peter is telling us all throughout this series that we can actually talk about God's beautiful plan, that he's always been willing to do something, even in the face of tragedy or in the face of great despair, in the face of great persecution. He's told us that God has always had a beautiful uh, plan to do everything to help a lost person come to him. And one of the ways that we can do that is by living an obedient and victorious life under duress. We can actually evangelize a hostile world. And we've looked at what persecution looks like. And we've looked at the life of the Christian and what our response to persecution ought to be. And I hope that over the course of the last nine weeks, as we've looked at this issue, that you have softened toward people who are antagonistic toward you. My hope is that God has begun to grow you to be people who don't trade insult for insult or slight for slight, but that you endure persecution as a Christian. My hope for you is that you have kind of calmed down from this angst that you feel to try to win every family member that you have and argue their way into the kingdom, but instead that you are, by living a life of love and loving people deeply, and not being so threatened, that you have softened, that you've become winsome to those who don't know Jesus. And so here we are in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Peter says this. He speaks to the elders. These are the leaders in the church. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Here's his commendation. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are what? Willing. You're willing to do it. It's not because you have to. It's because you get to. It's because you're willing to serve in that capacity. As God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with what? Clothe yourselves with humility. Just pause on that idea for a moment. It's like taking humility and putting it on like a garment. Like you put your shirt or your blouse on today that you're going to say, I'm going to wrap humility around myself. Not pride and ambition, but I'm going to wrap humility around myself. He says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And if you're taking notes today, and I encourage you to on your outline, you'll want to realize that 
this is what one of the first things that Peter's talking about is that a proud person thinks that they can get along without God. A proud person thinks they can get along without God. Now, I didn't say a proud person doesn't believe in God because there are many people who believe in God, but a proud person thinks, I believe in God, but I can get along without requiring him. I'll rest on my belief, but as far as the rest of my life is concerned, it's all up to me. Indirectly, that person will often reject God's system of human leadership in the church. And they'll kind of have a little badge on their shoulder, right? They'll be proud. Well, I just, I just follow the Lord. I don't, I don't, you know, partake of a, you know, the human institution of religious gathering. And they'll think like they just got a one-on-one with God. And God says, be the body, be the church, love each other deeply, come together. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. All the time God says, be the church. And people will put up a barrier and they'll say, no, 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 I, don't, I just reject that. Because pride gets in the way like a chip on the shoulder. Well, Peter starts talking to the elders of the church first. Talk to the church leadership first. And this is what he says. He said, the elders of the church are to eagerly shepherd God's people. He's saying, they're not your people. Elders don't sit there and go, well, our people. No, they're God's people. And we're under shepherds of the good shepherd. And our elders of the church are nominated by the members of the church to serve as examples and to serve as humble leaders of the church. And so when we gather, as our elder team gathers, we say we are under shepherds of the good shepherd. What happens if you have a shepherd and pride is the root of that shepherd? They try to draw all people to themselves. They're not an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. They're trying to say, I'm the only shepherd, the only one that you could have. And that's not a basis for effective leadership. Jesus wants you and I in our leadership to be humble. We don't think we have it all together. We're to have an example And then he flips it and he talks about the people of the church. So first of all, we need humble leaders. But then he flips it and he talks about the people in the church. He's saying, not only do we need humble leaders, but we need humble members. And these are people who should trust their elders and submit to their example and leadership, but do it in humility. Now, being a humble leader doesn't mean you're not a strong leader. It doesn't mean you're not a confident leader. In fact, you can be strong and confident But because of your strength in the Lord, because of your confidence in the Lord, you have the choice now to be humble. You don't have to, you know, put yourself out there. You don't have to lord your leadership and just rest on positional leadership over people. Let's draw this to your leadership in your life, in your family, in your workplace. You can be confident, you can be strong, but you don't have to be proud You can be humble in your leadership. And then the way we respond to those leaders is that we are humble members. And if some of you have seen this, you've watched, you've had friends, you've had others in the church who seem to be just like great, humble, God-fearing people, but all of a sudden they start getting really divisive in the church. When that happens with someone that you love and someone that you've trusted and someone that you've maybe even admired the quality of their life, Oftentimes, it's a good sign that that pride maybe has crept into their lives, which is a bad thing. God has established humility to overcome pride. I don't want you to miss that. God established a counterweight to pride. Pride is what caused Satan to fall 
from heaven because he wanted to be like God. And God's like, uh-uh. And so he wanted to oppose the leadership, the direction. He didn't want to follow the good shepherd. He wanted to be a good shepherd. And God cast him out of heaven, pride. But God has given us a counterweight. When pride starts to perk up, the counterweight to pride is humility. Do you see what happens there? That humility breaks down pride in our lives. That's how that works. In the same way that generosity breaks greed in our lives, God's given us a counterweight. When we want to be greedy, when we want to be all about ourselves, God's given us generosity. And the beautiful, powerful thing about generosity is that it breaks greed. There's a counterweight. In the same way that trust breaks down suspicion. When you start getting suspicious about everybody in your life and everybody around you, that trusting people and actually working with them, it doesn't mean that you have blind trust, but that walking with people, that working with people, you begin to realize that when you trust them, it breaks down suspicion. There's a counterweight. And in the same way, humility is the counterweight to pride. It breaks down pride. But what happens is sometimes people in the church maybe friends you've had or friends I've had, they'll start to think they're the only one who sees things right. They're the only one who can do things right. And so they begin to project, if we're gonna do this and we're gonna do it right, the only way that we can do that is my way. And what happens is pride starts to sneak in. And if Satan wants to derail a church or derail a Christian, he will most often use pride. It's the very thing that derailed him. And as a fallen angel, as a fallen created being who is destined for destruction, he says, I want to take as many people with me as I can. And if I can't take a believer with me, I want to make sure I take them out. And so the way that he'll look to take a person out is pride. And there's two ways that that'll happen. Either vaulting pride or wounded pride can have the same result. Vaulting pride is that ambition. I think everything is right. It's that elevating myself pride. It's, it's the puffing of yourself up. And when you're puffed up, you're easily deflated and the enemy knows that because he himself was prideful and was humbled by God. But in his anger, in his rage, his backlash against God, he sees only revenge. And the person in his sights is you or me or Christ's church. And so if you have vaulting pride a vaulting ambition that can lead to your downfall. But in the same way, wounded pride can have the same end. You might be in the church. You might have a conflict with somebody in the church. You might have a disappointment in the church. You might have come from another church where you had a falling out or a disappointment. And sometimes the enemy will use our wounded pride to get us to leave the flock, leave the church. And what I love about Sun Grove Church is that so many of you here, you're all about Christ's kingdom and you're all about that and laying ourselves down. I've watched our church over the years move from almost a, a pride about who we thought we were to be the kingdom of God that he wants us to be. And I hope over the last nine weeks, you've even had a softening in your heart that you've moved from maybe somebody who is, is proud and, and maybe unwilling to forgive the vices or the follies of others against you. And you have been willing to say, I'm gonna love deeply. I'm gonna humble myself. I'm going to honor God in that way. So Paul, Peter is calling for humble leaders. He's also calling for humble members. Now, let's add persecution to the mix. Picture for yourself, just a moment, you're in the early church. Nero has lied about Christians. Persecution is broken out. It's approved of by the leadership in the land. And people are afraid everywhere. And when people have fear, then they come up with all sorts of opinions or ideas and regarding opposition. And when persecution happens, people create their own opinions. And it's driven out of fear. 
And Peter comes around and says, listen, all along through this book, I've taught you how to not fight back. I've taught you how to not resist. I've talked with you about how to love people and in obeying God, even in the face of duress, you can actually evangelize a hostile world. But now, all the way in the book, all the way here at chapter 5, he's telling us there is a time to fight. There is a time to be stronger than our surroundings. There is a time to be stronger than the threats against us. And in five chapters, five chapters in, Peter finally teaches us how to fight spiritual opposition against our greatest persecutor, Satan. And today I want to talk with you about spiritual warfare. And if you ever outline, follow along with me about this. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 through 7. He has talked about we need humble leaders. We need humble members. And then he goes on with that in context. He goes to verse 6. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you may have heard these verses and thought, I want to, I want to cast my cares upon God. Isn't that a good thing? That you and I can approach the throne of God with boldness. We can cast our cares on him. Let him carry the weight of all the things that we're feeling. Isn't that good news? But how do we do that? Please understand, he's saying, you can't really do that if you're proud. In fact, the reality is you probably won't do that if you're proud. So he's saying, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. In other words, you humble you, but you let God lift you up out of your circumstances. God lift you up out of your despair. God lift you up out of the mire. God lift you up out of your sin. Let God do that. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And these people had great anxiety. They were afraid for their lives at times. They were facing persecution, let alone the burdens of relationship, the burdens of trying to have the lifestyle that they would have. So he says, humble yourselves. If you're taking notes today, I want you to realize that God won't force you to submit to him. Yet, God won't force you to submit to him. There comes a time, the Bible's clear that after death, there comes a time when every knee will bow, every tongue will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. There comes a time when every person bows their knee, they get down on their knee, and they, even if they're angry about it, they, they have to admit, they have to confess that Jesus is Lord. That happens someday. But Peter's saying, humble yourselves now. Don't wait till then. Humble yourselves now. Come to faith in Christ. Believe in him. Here's the hope. The God who allows suffering in your life or in my life is the same God that will lift you up. See, if God allows suffering, if God allows a road of humility in your life, the beautiful thing is he's the very same God who fully intends to lift you up, to bring you out from the place you found yourself, to bring hope into your life. Well, you say, well, how? How do I do that? How do I cast my cares to God? How, how is that possible? Well, let me give you three examples, three ways that you might, there's probably many ways, but these are three that you might use to cast your cares on the Lord. The first one would be out loud. Cast your cares out loud. There's something about the out loud spoken word that helps us get beyond ourselves, right? There's something that helps us humble ourselves. When we finally get to the point where we're like, okay, God, I need to let you know about this. 
because I'm stressing out. God, I am facing this opposition. God, I, and you out loud say, you might be alone in your car. You might be in the elevator at work. By the way, you're on video when you're on the elevator at work. You might be all over the place. The nice thing is, in that moment, you can out loud begin to pray to God. And he hears you. There's a, there's a point that just says, God, I need help. Do you remember when Peter, the same guy who wrote this book, was on the boat with the disciples and, and Jesus comes walking on the water and it's miraculous. They think he's a ghost. And, they're like, and Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. In other words, let me walk on the water to where you're at because I, I just got to test this out to see if you're a ghost or not. And he says, come. And Peter goes out and Peter's walking on the water. And he's doing great. And all of a sudden he sees all the opposition, all the cares of the world, the wind and the waves are against him. And, and in that moment he, he doubts, he begins to sink. And it's in that moment that out loud he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down, grabbed his hand and picked him up. Sometimes you're in the boat and you think I'm out, I'm walking on the water. And then you think I'm treading water and you're thinking I'm going underwater. And there comes this point in time where God's saying, you need to cry out to me. You need to talk to me. You need to bring this to me because I care for you. Cast your cares on me. I care. I care about the big things, the mighty things. I care about the little things in your life. But come to me, talk to me, cast your cares out loud. The second way that you might do it is in writing. Some of you like to write, you like to journal, you like to have a, just a book that maybe you write things in. I write down a lot of my prayers, I type a lot of them. It helps me kind of keep my mind uh, from wandering, it helps me keep my thought process straight. I like to look back and see how God has answered prayers. And so I'll, I'll journal, but journal is different than having a diary. You don't go, dear diary, and just talk about how great your day was and everything you feel. And really a diary becomes all about me, me, me right? It's exalting self. But if you journal, who's the recipient of your writing? As you're processing thoughts out loud, as you're thinking deeply about life and, and what's going on there, God is the recipient. He's the one who's reading the letter you're writing. So you can cast your cares by writing. And some of you enjoy doing that. And that would be a great way to do it. Others of you can cast your cares through music, Sing it out. Sing it out loud. There's that song that helps you turn your mind away from all your problems and turn your eyes back to Jesus. And so through music, you can be able to turn it. There might be another form of art for you. Some of you are very artistic in many, many ways. And it might be that you get out and you paint or you draw or you begin to walk through things in life where you are, are using your artistry to the Lord. There's a time not too long ago after I'd been to India the last time and really had a prayer team around me, we had been very prayed up before I went to India, but I don't know how to describe it except to say that when I came back from India, I feel like I brought something with me, that I brought some spiritual opposition with me. I feel like the enemy was not happy for what we were doing in the land of India and I came back and in the months after I came back from India for about three months, I just felt like I was in a funk. I just felt like I was under oppression. I felt more pressure in my life. I, I felt like sometimes, I don't know if I can trust all my, my thoughts. Because my thoughts were telling me that if my flesh wanted something, then, then that was the real me. And my spirit was telling me, no, that the real me is the redeemed me, the one that the God has rescued from the, from the pit, the one who has brought me up. He has lifted me up from that. But those two thoughts were in battle for about three months. And in that time, I began to just have to talk to God out loud. 
I began to have to write about it. I've got my prayer team around me. And we had to pray through until there was a breakthrough. But so often you just feel like you're on the road to, of rebellion. You're on the road of confusion. You're on the road of just opposition. And you don't know how to put a finger on it. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes in your life it can be spiritual warfare. And there are times that you've got to humble yourself and go, I can't fix this. I need outside help. You might even go to Christian counseling. And the beautiful thing about Christian counseling is that a Christian counselor has the spiritual component to match what's going on psychologically and physiologically in your life, and they can help remind you of what the truth is. They're not helping you discover your own truth. That can be highly dangerous, by the way. But they're helping you understand, reminding you what the truth of Jesus Christ is. So I want to remind you that you can cast your cares actively, that having good intentions doesn't do any good. There was a time in college I had gone through a, a breakup, and then I was going to go speak at a camp, and the girl I broke up with was leading the music at the camp, and so we're both going to be at the camp the same weekend, and, and I knew I needed to break up with that girl. God was really clear with me. A couple months had gone by, but about two weeks before the camp, I suddenly started feeling like I can't live without this girl. Like she's everything. I was like in a panic, like I'm gonna be up there all weekend, she's gonna be there. And oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? I felt like I just can't live without this girl that I was convinced God was like, break up with that girl. But suddenly I was feeling this and I was, I, all of a sudden after a few days of just kind of praying, God, just help me, God, help me. I think God was like, I am helping you. Take a stand, this is spiritual warfare. What's the greatest way to get you off your game for speaking all weekend? The greatest way is be distracted by the girl. So you got, so take a stand. I remember being in my apartment. I'm all by myself. And I just took a stand at who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. The evil one cannot touch me. I said it out loud. And literally all that feeling of confusion, all that feeling of angst just was released. And I'm walking around my apartment at the time and I start singing this little song that started coming to mind that later I put to music, but it just kind of the chorus goes like this. Guard my fragile heart and make it pure and holy. Guard my fragile heart and hold it in your care. Guard my fragile heart even when I'm lonely. Guard my fragile heart, I trust in you. And it just started coming in music. God, just let me cast my cares. Let me cast my cares on you through whatever gifts and abilities you've given each individual person. Use those, but cast your cares actively. Because sometimes you and I are under spiritual warfare from the evil one. We got to be aware about this. We got to be alert about this. And so Peter says this. He says this in chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Why? The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So he gives us some warnings right there. He says, be alert, be of sober mind. Like, how are you and I going to identify? Did I just, am I having an emotional moment? Am I under spiritual warfare? Did I eat bad pizza last night and now I'm just, things are not going so well? What is going on in my life when you and I begin to evaluate our lives and our emotions and our heart? Peter says, be alert that you and I have a very real 
enemy. Well, what should you and I be alert for? There's probably many things, but let me give you three that I want you to focus on today. If you have your outline, be alert for things that tear your world apart. Say, what do you mean? Things that tear my world apart. Well, like you were doing okay, and then all of a sudden, for very little logical reason, you're not okay. Like you were fine, but then all of a sudden, just one little thing to put you in a tailspin. Be alert for that kind of thing. Because it just feels like something came along and just tore your whole world apart. And you might be under spiritual warfare at that time. I'll give you several examples of that. Number one would be lying thoughts. Lying thoughts. How many of you have ever had thoughts and you're like, if somebody else knew what I was thinking, they would think I am crazy, right? We all have crazy thoughts sometimes. We do. But you might have lying thoughts, something that's so diametrically opposed to the truth. And it will show up in your negative self-talk. When you hear a lying thought and you don't ask, where did that thought come from? But you begin to own it thinking it's your thought, it starts to come out your mouth. And so you'll talk about what you can't do and you'll talk about what uh, kind of person you are or person you aren't. And you will have this negative, you will just start beating yourself up all the time. Why? Because you started listening to lying thoughts instead of countering them with the truth. Another thing to watch out for is disturbing dreams. Disturbing dreams. Do you have a recurring dream? Does that dream that maybe you have over and over, does it have power over you? Does it tear your world apart? Does it disrupt the normalcy in your life? It could be spiritual warfare. That there are times that your dream and my dream, it could be spiritual warfare. So like, ladies, maybe you have a dream and you wake up and you are incredibly fearful because of your dream. You legitimately are fearful and you're afraid. Well, you have a choice in that moment. You could be like, well, was that dream a warning? You know, was that dream just like, I'm, am I supposed to be watching for something all day? Am I so afraid? You've got a choice in that moment. Either I choose to let that dream dictate and control my emotions during the day, or I choose to offer even that dream up to Jesus Christ. God, I'm under your authority, your lordship. I'm a child of God. The evil one cannot touch me. Guys, you go to sleep at night, but you have a really sexually explicit dream. And you feel like you're 16 or 17 years uh, uh, old, and you wake up, and you're all kind of charged up, and you're thinking, wow, what kind of dream was that? Where did that come from? And, and you begin to, to think, am I going to let that dream ruin my whole day? Am I going to let that dream dictate my whole day? And you have a choice in that matter. Are you going to take a stand as a child of God and say, I am a child of God. The evil one cannot touch me. I'm not going to pursue what I maybe was dreaming about there, but I'm going to capture that thought. I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. And you take a stand. You might have an emotionally charged dream. You wake up and you're just all a wreck. And you were fine the night before, but you wake up and it's like your world has been torn apart. And you begin to grab a hold of that. You have a choice. God, I'm going to grab a hold. I don't understand all this. I feel confused. I feel drained. And God, I'm going to grab a hold of that and not let that dream dictate my entire day. And we give it to the Lord. Be aware of lying thoughts. Be aware of disturbing dreams. But third, be aware of overwhelming circumstances 
overwhelming circumstances. It's that idea that, you know, things tear your world apart. Sometimes circumstances were fine, but they all of a sudden got overwhelming. You got an unexpected bill. You had something break down. There was a tragedy in your family. Circumstances all around you just got overwhelming, and you feel like you're just cowering down. Things were fine, but suddenly you're not. You begin to want to panic. You want to despair. You want to quit, or you want to run away. These circumstances come. And you and I have a choice. God, do I capture those thoughts around those circumstances? Do I make them obedient to Christ? Do I give them to you? Do I cast my cares? I want to tell you, men and women, listen to me. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. He cares for you. Peter says this. He says, resist the devil. He doesn't say run away from the devil. How many of you in here have cats? Okay, if you have a cat and something runs away from it, what does the cat do? Yeah, it chases it. So I'm just telling you, like, if you're in Africa, let's say you go on safari, and as you're on your photo safari, there's an armed guy with you, uh, and let's say, out of nowhere, you, you, no one saw it coming, but the big lion saw you, and, it's, and it came running for you, and you turned around and ran, uh, it would chase you down. They tell you actually stand there, which sounds kind of dumb, right? I'm just going to stand there until he attacks me. But they say this, hey, if the lion attacks you, let's say you're sleeping in your tent at night and it grabs a hold of you, it growls outside, it grabs you, and it's dragging you off, they, this is what they tell you to do. If the lion grabs you, it's coming at you, he's coming to attack you, this is what you do. You feed it an arm, one, so it doesn't get your neck or your spine or your back, but you feed it an arm until your friend can come and shoot it. Okay? So that's what they tell you. Like, I'm just being honest. If the bigger than the house cat comes for you, feed it an arm because all you're doing at that moment is buying time, right? You're just going to feed it an arm until your friend can come and shoot it with the gun. That's what they tell you to do. And in the same way, Peter is saying, listen, some of you, you're getting chewed on all the time. You're allowing yourself to get mauled. The claws are in you, and it's biting you on the neck, and you've lost hope, you've lost despair. And Peter is saying in that moment, you are to resist the devil. You're to cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you, and then you and I are to resist the devil. And sometimes we need to stall it long enough until we have a brother or a sister or a friend who can come along and help us shoot it. We need the truth of the word of God to come up so that we can shoot it with the truth. We gotta be alert. Don't run away from it. Resist him. And so he tells us how to fight, how to stand back against, push back against our greatest persecutor, Satan himself. So how do you do that? On your outline, expose the lying thought, disturbing dream, or overwhelming circumstance out loud. Expose it out loud. Do you realize that Jesus, when a demonized person came to him, he always pushed back at spiritual opposition out loud. Jesus always spoke out loud to the opposition, whether the opposition was the pride of the Pharisees, whether the spiritual opposition was in the form of a demonized person, Jesus always spoke to spiritual opposition out loud. Why out loud? Well, honestly, this is personal for me, but I don't believe that the enemy is under any compulsion to obey your thoughts, to obey your silent prayers, 
We were just like, oh, please, God. Just, I don't think he's under any compulsion to obey that. I think the example of Jesus is that we take a stand against the enemy out loud. And so we speak to the enemy out loud. Fortunately, the enemy often chooses to attack you and I when we're alone. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you're alone in your thoughts at work. Maybe you are uh, asleep at night. But I believe the enemy comes and he wants to attack us when we're alone. And so we begin to say, well, what kind of things do I expose? What kind of lies do I need to expose? Let me give you a few. Number one, you might say, you might have made some agreements with the evil one. He whispers a thought, and here's his thought. God has orphaned you. God loves other people, but he's given up on you. He's given up on you. And you begin to think, well, maybe, maybe God's given up on me. I mean, I got a track record, and maybe that track record just got a little too long. Maybe God's given up on me. We, we, it's almost like we reach out and we shake hands with this lie, and we, we grab a hold of it, and we begin to shake, and we go, I'll buy that. I'll believe that. And we begin to believe a lie. And we need to push back with the truth against that. that. I am not orphaned by God. He has not given up on me. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You might have made an agreement with a lie regarding a family member or your spouse. You might answer this question. You might say, my husband or my wife is so, I know, right? <laughs> my husband or my wife is so, and you just fill in the blank. And you know what? Over time, that builds a resentment. Over time, that begins to elevate your pride. So now you don't have a hu humble husband and a humble wife. You now have a proud husband and a proud wife. And it might be wounded pride or it might be vaulting pride. But either way, it's pride. And we have to begin to capture those. I will not speak and entertain negative thoughts about my spouse. I will no longer entertain a negative thought about my spouse. And when you begin to take a stand in that, you will watch your heart change. But it starts with taking a stand first. Why? You got to counter the lie that you've shaken hands with. Another one would be this. You might have a bad dream. You might have a dream that says you're no good. You should fear. You're with the wrong person. They're out to get you. Something bad is going to happen. Whatever it is, whatever that bad dream is, you might have it. And your response could be dreams falsify reality. The truth is I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. And the evil one cannot touch me. You might have overwhelming circumstances and you're thinking to yourself, okay, there's a lot of things that God can do, but God can never get me through this one. This is just, this is my impossible situation. There is no way. And in that moment, you begin to counter it with the truth that when you're in doubt of God's abilities, you begin to focus on who he is, not how he's going to get it all done. You begin to think, I didn't need to know, God, how you're going to work this all out. We ask, God, how are you ever going to do this? I don't know how you're going to work this out. I don't know if it'll ever get better, God. And we just get so overwhelmed. And God doesn't say, oh, well, hey, let me just send you a quick fax. I'm going to tell you, like, how I'm going to do it. And here's the outline points. And just look for these. God doesn't do that. But sometimes when you and I are casting our cares on God and we're releasing them to him, we remember who he is and who we are not. 
And in that moment, what we needed to hear instead of the outline plan of how everything was going to work out, what we really needed to hear was how big and how great and how awesome our God is because we had forgotten, we had looked at our problems and made them big and great and awesome. And we have forgotten that we have a bigger and more awesome and phenomenal God in heaven who cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So we resist the devil by speaking the truth. Don't outreason the devil. Don't malign the devil. Don't tell him a bunch of, you know, hey, I, you know, I hate you, devil. You might. But instead, speak the truth. One of the great phrases I've seen in the Old Testament in spiritual opposition was this, and I want you to almost capture this thought. And it's this statement. In a spiritual fight, an angel says to the opposition, he says, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, not I'm rebuking you, devil. It's the Lord rebuke you. Be alert. Be self-controlled. The enemy wants to devour you. He doesn't want to just eat your arm. He wants to go for the throat. And so he wants to destroy you. And he's going to use pride to either get you to vault yourself up and puff yourself up. Or he's going to get you to have your pride destroyed. And then you'll have wounded pride. And he wants you either way to stop following Jesus. Stop casting your cares on Jesus. And these people were being persecuted. They felt like sometimes I am getting beat up and, and I am being opposed in so many ways. And they were being persecuted and their lives were under the threat of death. And Peter is saying, resist him. Let the Lord lift you up. You're under spiritual warfare. And when you're under spiritual warfare, you fight spiritually, and you have a hero named Jesus. And it's in his name that there is all the power necessary to fight the good fight. So Peter says, well, before I get there, some of you in this room, you're like, okay, Dave, you're talking about spiritual warfare, but come on. Like, I don't face spiritual warfare. Like, I don't ever face that kind of thing. That's kind of weird what you're talking about. Spiritual warfare is just a weird idea. I don't believe in it. I don't think I really face it. And let me just tell you, if you don't face spiritual warfare, either you're spiritually dead, you've not come alive to new life in Christ, you might have a belief about Christ, an idea about Christ, but you yourself have not come to spiritual life. Or two, you've accepted Christ, but you're so interested in living comfortably that you're not a threat. You've made God all about you and your comfort. And so you're not a threat to get on mission. You're not a threat to share your faith. You're not a threat that if persecution comes, you're going to be the first one. I'm falling. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to deny Christ like Peter did. But then he knew the risen Christ and his life was forever changed. And it's that guy who's appealing to you and I. And he says this because he's speaking from firsthand experience. He says this in 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace who called you by his, to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He's saying, it's not saying you're not going to suffer. But he's saying, after you have suffered for a little while, 
God's going to be the one to make you strong. God's going to be the one to make you firm. God's going to be the one who comes along and makes you steadfast. He is the one who renews all things. Resist the devil. Cast your cares on the Lord and let God lift you up because that's what he's in the business of doing. So let's personalize this. I want you to read this verse with me. We've changed the pronouns to make it personal for you. Are you ready? Let's read this together. And the God of all grace who called me to his eternal glory in Christ after I have suffered a little while will himself restore me and make me strong, firm, and steadfast. And maybe that's all the sermon you needed today. Maybe you just need to be reminded that God's the one who will restore you. God's the one who will renew you. God's the one who will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And Peter's telling this to people who are persecuted, who are under the threat of their very lives. And even if they give their life for the name of Jesus, God is the one who lifts them up, who restores them, who renews them. And they have eternal life in him. And so Peter ends with this and. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, by the way, this is a, this is a reference. Uh, most scholars think that Peter's writing from Rome, but most Scholars think that he's referring to Babylon as this kind of nebulous place because he didn't want to out the church of believers in Rome to more persecution. So he's basically saying, she, this church, who is in the place where I am, they send their greetings. So he says this, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's how he ends the letter. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. If I told you today that today was National Kiss a Church Person Day, how many of you would leave? Okay, right? I'm out of here. Forget that. It's not. But I, want, I, I don't want you to miss the reference of what Peter's talking about. All through this book, he said, love one another deeply. Stop being so suspicious and love and trust. Stop being so worried. Cast your cares on the Lord. And in everything he's saying, love one another deeply. And so at the end, he references what is the common greeting, a Middle Eastern greeting for people. But all those people have seen what it's like to think that somebody is for you only to find out that they're against you. Peter was right there when Judas walked up to Jesus and gave him this greeting, kissed him on the cheek with a kiss of death, a kiss of betrayal. Peter was standing right there. It made him so angry that he pulled out his sword to fight. And he's saying the church should be different than that. The church should be different than the backstabbers. The church should be different than the people who look like they love you, but in fact they don't. He's commanding humble believers and humble leaders to give honest, heartfelt greetings to one another based in love, not deception, not pride, especially in a time of persecution. When do you need most to know that your brothers and sisters have got your back? It's when you're persecuted. And so greet one another 
and love them deeply. He says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And maybe for some of you, you might realize that he's saying peace to those of you who are in Christ, but maybe you've come to realize you've never come to Christ. You're not in Christ. Christ is not in you. You've been evaluating, thinking about God. You've been looking at life. You've been learning about things, but you have never humbled yourself and received Jesus and his offer of eternal life in your life. And even right now, Peter's saying, humble yourself. Come to Jesus first. Peace to those who are in Christ. It doesn't say peace without opposition, peace without trouble. No, that's fake. He's saying peace, even in your horrible circumstances, peace to you who are in Christ. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, maybe that's you. Maybe today you realize I've never humbled myself and gotten to the end of myself and given myself to Jesus. I've never received his offer of eternal life. I didn't believe that he died on the cross for my sin, but now... I'm coming to the end of myself and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to receive that. I believe that you died for my sin. I ask you to make me a new creation. And if that's you today, then you pray a prayer like this right after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life. Make me a new creation in you. I ask you to wash my sin away. I believe you died for me and I want to live for you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.